Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. We human beings have this tremendous urge to try and make sense out of the events of life. We have this desire that, that everything ought to have some purpose to it, have reason to it, have meaning to it. Um, and events like we experienced this last week in New, Newtown, Colorado, uh, Connecticut, um, it's just another one of those reminders because what is the one question that everybody asks when something like that happens? Why? Why? We have this, in, this, this, this incurable desire to make sense out of things, to try and to give meaning and purpose to it. And, 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 and even not even just in big things like that, but in our own personal lives, we hit a speed bump or something goes wrong or you know, something just gets out of whack in our lives and something happens. And, and the same question we ask, why? Why is this happening to me? Or maybe you've said this one, what did I do to deserve this? Because we have this sense that there ought to be purpose to it. Uh, and then even on the positive side, you know, we, we say things like, um, well, everything happens for a reason. Anybody here ever said that one? How do you know? Seriously, how do you know? Or it'll all work out. Really? What makes you so sure? <laughs> I mean, we, because we have this sense that things ought to make sense, that the things ought to have purpose, it ought to have meaning to it. And you know why that is? And, and by the way, that's not a Christian thing. That's not a religious thing. That is something that is implanted in every human being. And what Christians believe is that God had put it there because we are created in his image. And God is a purposeful God and a meaningful God. And what he does has purpose and has meaning. And that thing which no other species on earth asks is the thing that we ask all the time. What's the meaning of all of this? See, <clears throat> the message of Christmas is the culmination of all that God has been doing in the world, even up to this moment. God bringing meaning and purpose because He's a purposeful God. He's a meaningful God. And because we are created in His image, we long for purpose. We long for meaning. And in Christmas, we see it. We see it in Jesus. And it's all summed up in this idea that God is involved in this world. God is at work and that he is involved even in your own life. And it all is summed up in one word. The name, one of the names attributed to Jesus. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Which means God is with us. God is with us. In every aspect of our lives, God is with us. The proclamation was first made to Joseph. And it's in Matthew chapter 1, if you want to follow along, <clears throat> beginning in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. God with us. What does that mean? 
I kind of like to unpack that a little bit this morning because that one term is really the heart of the Christmas story. It is really the heart of all that God has been doing in the world. God with us. What does that mean? In your everyday life, in my everyday life, I think one of the things it means is whether I see him or not, God is with me. That was the promise. So that was a promise given. They will call him Emmanuel because it, which means God with us. And the whole story of scripture is the story of God desiring to be with people. From beginning to end, that's what it's all about. If you go through even the creation story, you go all the way back to Genesis 2, Genesis 3, that God even created a special garden. In the middle of all his creation, he created this garden. And it's actually, we're given quite an extensive description of it. That it is filled with trees and trees, to some trees that are just there just for their beauty, just to be admired. Because they reflect the beauty of God. Some of the trees are good for food. There's descriptions of, of rivers running through this garden. And gold and, and minerals, onyx. All of these, we're given all this, and it's a pretty extensive description of this garden. And the whole purpose of that garden would be a place where God could be with the people he created. That was its whole purpose. A place for God to be with them. In fact, it talks about how God would come in the cool of the day and walk with Adam and Eve. Now, God doesn't have feet. God doesn't have legs. What does it mean to walk with? It has all to do with just being with. It's wording that conveys this idea that God has desired to be with us from the very creation. It is something that we lost. Pastor Larry talked about it last week. Something has gone terribly wrong in this world, and that's what we see all around us. But God now has done something right. All of Scripture is all about God undoing what was done wrong. And it finds its culmination in Jesus. You and I were created for a God with us kind of life. Every one of us. We were created for that. And the history of Scripture is that is what God is trying to do. He is trying to be known. He is trying to make himself known. Michelangelo, just an incredibly insightful man in his um, in his fresco on the ceiling of Sistine Chapel, just really conveys this well. And, and I actually had a chance to go there. A couple of years ago, Betty and I got a chance to go to Rome, and, and we went through the Sistine Chapel. And I learned a couple things as I, I stood in that place. One of them I learned is they frown on people taking pictures. <laughs> but that's another story for another time. The other thing was that, that it, the ceiling is quite a ways up there, and it does, it, the picture just doesn't look as big as I imagined it to be. But in the center of all of it is this, this frame. It is a picture. It's called the creation of Adam. It is a picture of God reaching out to man. And I want to kind of focus in just on God for a moment. Because I want to let, let you see his, his posture. This is God's posture to us. And I think Michelangelo had just an incredible insight to this. That he is stretching out. Fully out. His finger fully extended. His, his body is twisted and contorted in a way that he could reach out to Adam. And all the cherubim and seraphim or whatever those things are around him. All the focus is on God reaching out to man. That is God's attitude towards you and towards me. That he is constantly reaching out. That he has come as close as he possibly can. But you notice in the picture there's a gap. There's a gap. That God is fully extended and, and, and come as close as he possibly can, but there is a gap that he leaves up to Adam. It's a gap that he leaves up to each and every one of us. 
God is closer than you think. God is with you whether you see him or not. He is pursuing you. His great desire is to be with you. And all through scripture you see it. The most common promise and all the way through scripture, the most frequently given promise is I will be with you. More than I will rescue you, more than I will save you, more than I will forgive you, more than anything else, there is one promise that comes all the way through Scripture, I will be with you. And God was with Noah, and he walked, Noah walked with God, we're told. God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to leave this land that you're in and go to a land that I will show you, and I will be with you. He calls Moses out of a burning bush and he says to him, I want you to go into Egypt and relieve my people from their suffering and from their slavery and you are going to lead them out and I will be with you. Over and over and over again. I will be with you. I will be with you. And, and he does it in ways. He makes his presence known. To Moses, it's a burning bush. When they lead the nation of Israel out and they come out of their slavery, that it says that God went before them and appeared to them as a pillar of fire at night and as a cloud in their distance during the day to lead them forward. And he gave them things like the Ark of the Covenant, which was meant to be the representation that God is with us. And he gave them instructions on building the tabernacle and the temple. And, and all this was to remind people that God is with us. It is the story of Scripture. If you want to find one theme that runs all the way through all of the Bible, it is that one theme. God is with us. And he makes this promise over and over again. And it's not just to good people. It's not just to super saints. He makes that same promise to a man named Jacob, who was a conniver and a deceiver. God says, I'll be with you. And you might be here this morning. You might think, why would God want to be with me? Things that I've done, places I've been, stuff I know I'm stuck on. Why would God want to be with me? But he does. That's what scripture is all about. All through scripture, over and over again, that promise, I will be with you. I will be with you. Go and do not be afraid for I am with you. And then, and then in human history, an angel comes to a poor peasant girl who is engaged to be married. And these are the words. Greetings, you who are highly favored. What? The Lord is with you. That is the promise. God with us like never before. And when we look at Jesus and we see the life of Jesus, what we see in Jesus, for the first time ever, we get a really, really good look at this God with us life. What it looks like. And Jesus goes through his ministry and goes through the world. And, and he proclaims this message over and over again. And we see, and, and he says things like, I do nothing of myself. I do nothing without the Father. He portrays to us what that with God life looks like. And we see it in his life. And then, and then what he does is he calls 12 people. And listen to this. Jesus called those he wanted, and they came to him. And he pointed 12 that what? They might be with him. See, that is the message. And that's what the Christmas message is all about. That God, like never, never before, is now with us. And we see it in the life of Jesus. But not only do we see it as an example, he opens up a way for us to be with God. That's why he's given that name. And whether I see him or not, Scripture says, God is with me. God is pursuing me. God's desire is for me. His desire is for you. And secondly, if my desire for him wavers, which it does from time to time... He's still with me. He's still with me. 
See, he has always promised to be with me. He, in fact, he encourages us to live this God with us life. He said to his followers, remain in me and I also will remain in you. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. He said the key to a, a fruitful, meaningful, soul-satisfying life is this life with me, life with God. Now, what might that look like in your life? What would it look like to have God with you in the workplace? What would it look like to have God with you around the dinner table? What would it look like for you, for God to be with you in the classroom, on the freeway, in the shopping mall, in the parking lot of the shopping mall? What would that look like? Because moment by moment, there is opportunity, there is opportunity to live life with God. That's what, it's not something that we wait for somewhere in the future. What what Jesus has done is he's opened up the opportunity for us to live this God with us life on everyday moments, everywhere we go. And the truth of the matter is, if I was absolutely honest with you, there are some times that my desire for that wavers. In fact, I know that I can go for hours at a time with no thought at all about God. And I'm a pastor. It's my job. But I have found that I can get very tied up in all kinds of other things and go for hours at a time with no thought that God is with me. I bet you can too. What would it look like if we lived a God with us life? We get opportunities for that all day. In fact, I will tell you some of the best opportunities. What is it that makes you most irritated? That's a with God moment. Because when you want to just vent and scream and whatever it is, or you just want to stew in your juices, whatever it is, whatever it is that causes that irritation in you, at that very moment, you you can't stop and say, God, I want to be with you right now. What is it that causes you deep anxiety and worry? What are those things that you are trying to figure out on your own that you can't figure out and there is no answer for it on your own? That is a moment for a with God life. To stop and to say, God, I'm worried about this and I can do nothing to fix it. Would you be with me? See, I would encourage you. In fact, this is a challenge. I was listening to a podcast not long ago of John Ortberg, and he was talking about this concept, and he, and he gave this challenge, and I thought, I'm going to do that. This week, I tried to do it, and I'm going to pass it on to you. This is your change the way people view the church, because I think the best way that people will view, change the way they view the church is if they change the way they see us, and the way they're going to change the way they see us is that we live a with God life. So here was the challenge. There are 86,400 seconds in a day, and just think about that. 86,400 seconds in a day. How many of those seconds would you say on an average day you spend those with God? Maybe stop and think about that. In an average day, 86,400 moments, seconds to be with God. How many of those do you spend in an awareness of God? Maybe it's only 10 seconds. Maybe if you were really honest, say, you know what? On average, probably about 10 seconds a day. So here's the challenge. This week, move it to 11. See, we're going to set the bar really, really low on this one, okay? (laughs) But seriously, seriously, wherever it is, whatever you would say, yeah, on average, maybe a minute or two. 
then, then just bump it a little bit. And you can start at the beginning of the day, just inviting him and his presence into your life. That's what I did this week. Each morning I said, God, I'm going to go through stuff today that I don't even know what's going to happen. But you do, and I want to spend it with you. I invite you into my day. I'm going to come up against problems that I can't solve. I'm inviting you right now to be with me in those moments. I'm going to have things that are going to frustrate me, and I'm inviting, I'm inviting you to be with me in my frustration. And then, Lord, would you, would you just throughout the day remind me? Because I know I'm going to forget. And what I found is, when I made that effort, when I just simply tried to be more aware of his presence, I was. So that's my challenge to you. Find those moments this week to be with God. It doesn't have to be in Bible study. It doesn't have to be in prayer time. It can simply be in the moment of frustration to say, God, would you be with me here? See, because that's the deal. Whether, whether my desire is, wanes or not, he's still with me. I just need to be open to that. Now, if I'm really honest, and if you are really honest, you would have to admit there are actually some moments that you don't want to be with God. There are those moments when I am tempted to do wrong. There are those moments when I don't do right like I know I should. And in those moments, though I would never pray that prayer out loud, my prayer is really, God, don't be with me right now. <laughs> Dallas Willard tells a story in his book, Renovation of the Heart. Tells a story of a little two-and-a-half-year-old two named Larissa who has learned how to play with mud. And she's at her grandmother's house, and she is playing in the mud, and she's calling it chocolate. She's making chocolate. And she's playing in the mud, and her grandmother finds her in this and just, you know, just cleans her all up, brings her inside, tells her, don't do that anymore. I don't want you playing in the mud. No more making chocolate. And then she lets her go back outside. But this time, Grandma sits outside on the back porch keeping watch over her. And sure enough, she goes right back to the mud. And she turns to her grandma, and she says, don't look at me now, Nana. <laughs> Don't look at me now. <laughs> How many of those don't look at me now, God, moments do you have in your life? Don't look at me now, God. Not right now. See, even when I don't want him to be with me, he's with me. And that's what scripture tells us. When I want to do wrong, when I want to avoid doing right, when I, want to, when I want to nurse that anger just a little bit longer, when I want to hold that grudge or withhold forgiveness, God's still with me. The story is told in the garden that God comes one day. Adam and Eve have now sinned. They've eaten of the tree that was forbidden. And they've sinned. And it says, they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees. They hid. And that's what we do. We hide. But God doesn't give up on us. He keeps pursuing us. He keeps drawing us into this God with us life. And whether I see him or not, whether I want to be with him or not, he still wants to be with me. And even, even when he seems far away, even when he seems distant, even when he seems silent, God is still with me. God is still with you. Sometimes it's, it's tragedies like we saw this week. Sometimes it's even in your own life. 
when life starts to fall apart. A husband walks out on a marriage after 20 years, leaving his wife behind. A business venture fails. Someone is left bankrupt. A diagnosis that is heartbreaking is made. And the question is, God, where are you? God, where are you? And what we know from Scripture is God is there. Story of Joseph, if you're not familiar with it. Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery. And in slavery, what happened was he actually gained the favor of his owner and was actually risen to the top to be in charge of all the servants. And then his wife, his owner's wife, makes a false accusation of him. And though he is completely innocent, he is thrown into prison and left there to rot. And he makes some friends and he helps them out. And, and when they get out, he says, now when you get out, don't forget about me. But they do. They go on with their lives and they completely forget about him. And he is left to languish in prison. And scripture says this, while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Even in the difficulties of life. Even in those times when I want to be with him, but he seems silent. And I don't know if any of you have experienced that, that I long to be with God. I want his presence in my life, and, I, and I'm praying for it to happen. And it seems like my prayers go no further than the ceiling, that God seems absolutely silent. I don't know where he is, and he feels so distant from me. It's hard to believe he's with me. When I was in the depths, the deepest part of my, of, of my depression, I, I felt this in an incredible way. I, I remember I, I took a study break. Just took a week off to be with God. And my sister and brother-in-law own a place up, in, up at Lake Berryessa. And I just asked if I could use their place for a week. And I went up there. And the sole purpose was to go up there and just reconnect with God. And that whole week, I could not connect with Him. I just felt like none of my prayers were being answered. I walked along the lakefront and didn't feel any, any cause for the beauty around me. Just spiritually dead. Just wondering, God, where are you? And maybe that's where you're at this morning. I want you to know God is with you. God is still with you. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, Psalm 23 says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And in Jesus, God emphatically confirms the truth of that. Because Jesus comes and he faces his own pain and his own grief. He is falsely arrested and accused. His, his closest friends abandon him, deny him, even betray him, one of them. He is scourged, he is beaten, he is hung on a cross to die. And even in that moment, as he's hanging on the cross, one of the words that comes from his lip is, God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus himself knows those moments when life falls apart and God seems silent. And in Jesus... What God gives us is a picture of a God who suffers, who suffers with us. And it's interesting, in fact, we're going to close our time together this morning, sharing together in communion. And I was thinking about it this week. Jesus said these words on the final night with him. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. What he gave us as reminders of his presence were elements of his suffering. Ever thought about that? It just dawned on me this week. 
The thing that he gave us to remember his presence were the very elements of his suffering, his broken body and his shed blood. And it's like he's reminding us all over again. When your life seems broken, when your blood is being spilled, I'm with you. I am with you. Whether you see me or not, whether you want me or not, whether you can believe that I'm still here with you or not, I'm with you. I'm with you. And he, he absorbed all that pain. He absorbed all the evil that death, sin, and hell could unleash, unleash on him, and he overcame it. And he rose from that grave. And he rose triumphant as Savior and Lord and King. And God with us. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California. Thank you.